today I'd like to uh, begin this kind of introduction to this this new series uh, on the resurrection of Jesus by just uh, in a sense rediscovering it. Of course we all know about the resurrection of Jesus. I mean we've been in the church long enough and Christians long, long enough to uh, know about that. But you know what sometimes it doesn't have the impact that it should have upon us. So sometimes we need to rediscover things we need, uh, and by not just having knowledge but having maybe a heart impact from the Holy Spirit. And uh, today I want to talk to you about it's still the cutting edge of our salvation and I got some selected scriptures that I'll go through with you um, as, we, as we focus upon the importance of the resurrection of Jesus to us. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, today as we look at this new topic uh, for us, this new series, and I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us today to stay focused, to stay in your will, to be walking, even though we're sitting today, Lord, to be walking in our spirits in the Holy Spirit. We pray that, uh, Lord, as we, we are active today here in our faith, that our faith would be able to absorb like a sponge some of the water of your word today. We pray that it would be something that will, will, will click with us, something, Lord, will, will ignite in our hearts, and uh, that the Holy Spirit will use to draw us closer to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure that you've heard this phrase before. It was the best of times and the worst of times. That's the opening and the very familiar sentence of a novel by Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. Maybe you had to read that in high school. Uh, I didn't have to read that in high school. We read some other classic novels, but that was one we didn't have to read. But that is a, it's a story about life in two cities. Of course, it was written back in, back in the 1800s. And uh, it was a story about the life in two cities, London and Paris, around the time of the French Revolution, which of course was in the late 1700s. It's a, it's a story of radical opposites. It's a story of radical opposites taking place at the same time. It was an age of wisdom and an age of foolishness. It was an age of belief and an age of a refusal to believe. It was an age of light and an age of darkness, an age of hope and an age of despair. And the themes in that book include things like self-sacrifice and love but also death and resurrection. So it's really a, it's really a good, interesting novel to read uh, as, you, as you compare, you know, uh, uh, if you will, freedom and tyranny as, as well. And I think in similar ways, I think we can say that is, uh, really reflects our days now, uh, right where we're living, that these really are, loved ones, these are the best of times, but they're also the worst of times. And you know what? They're going to be getting better and they're going to be getting worse at the same time. Depends on which perspective, which side of the fence you're on. Depends, uh, you know, uh, which side of God's fence you're on. Say, what do you mean, PD? But it's the worst of times. Well, I know it's not pleasant to look at the current conditions of our country, our culture, but I was going to tell you something. Um, well, we have to keep this balanced. It does no good for us at all to keep our heads in the sand to say, I just don't want to know about what's happening in our culture. It's, uh, I hear Christians actually say this. I don't want to know. I'd rather not know. 
it is kind of like the, you know, I think I mentioned this to you before about the, 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 the nomad desert uh, traveler who at, at night uh, he was hungry in his tent and, and so he turned on his lantern and he lit his lantern and he got out of a bag of dates and he noticed the first date had a, had a worm in it. And so he threw it out of the tent and he, and he went through about five or six dates and all of them had worms in them. So he turned off the lamp and reached in the bag and began eating the dates. And I think some nice Christians are kind of, I've met Christians who are like that. They don't want to know. I don't want to know. Well, we need to know. We need to know our times. We need to know the Bible instructs us to do that. We need to know uh, how else can we glorify God if we don't know what, uh, what darkness is out there? How else can we be the light to a dark culture? So we need to be aware of the times and how we can glorify our Lord. Whoever could have predicted, loved ones, that such um, spiritual and moral chaos would erupt so quickly in three years since the COVID pandemic who could have ever predicted that this would happen? Um, of course, it's been brewing for a while, and some issues that have actually surfaced have been cultivating action. They've been kind of simmering and, and uh, uh, stewing, I should say, for uh, several decades, actually. But um, as far as the worst of times, in these three short years, we have been blasted with a new kind of social justice. And we've talked about that in the past. It's been a while, but... Uh, that's expressed in what we call critical race theory, which is Marxism that's being tr trying to be taught to our children in, in schools. Parent organizations are fighting against it. Um, a new term that we had to understand, a lot of these terms we've had to come to understand, they're new terms to us. And sometimes even the people who are, who are pushing these terms, they don't even know what they mean. It's really, that's what makes it so, so confusing. But uh, we've had to learn what wokeism is. What's, what, what does it mean to be woke? It means, you know, this not equality of people, but an equity of groups where every group gets, uh, gets equal, you know, uh, um, outcome. You know, even, even though you didn't do the work, you still should get just as much money as this, this other group who did the work. You know, it's that kind of thing. Wokeism, where it's based on equity, not, not, e not equality. Um, we've had to learn about those things. The 1619 Project, which is a revision of our American history, our U.S. history, which uh, based this, this, this 1619 Project says that the nation wasn't formed in 1776, but rather 1619, and it was established on the back of slavery. We've had to learn new, new terms like LGB, now you had to get, there's been addition, there have been some letters added here. So LGBTQIA2+. Now if you really want to be on the cutting edge, you've got to learn those things. I'm just joking, don't worry about that. But LGBTQIA2+, and what that means... These are, this, is, this stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, intersex, asexual, two spirits. These are the sexual orientation or the gender confusion outside of biblical mandates. They are often terms, again, like I said, even the participants cannot define. Even the medical field is promoting these puberty blockers for kids who are age 12 all the way through age 23 that will destroy their ability to reproduce. 
sex change surgeries are becoming so not only popular among people, but they're even being encouraged by the medical people, which is absolutely astounding to us. Um, just last Thursday, it was confirmed during a House Judiciary subcommittee hearing on gender-affirming care for children. Um, I believe it was, I've got her up here, I believe here, uh, Harriet Hegman, who is a representative from Wyoming. Um, she asked this, one of the doctors, I think from the Family Research Council, she asked, she, she said, uh, uh, there, there's a 100% failure rate for sex change operations, isn't there? Um, because it's not possible to change your sex. And from the Family Research Council, Dr. Uh, uh, Jennifer Baldwin says, that's right, you can't change your sex. Now that's encouraging that that's actually being said in Washington, but there's also all these influences on the other side that's, that, that's disagreeing with these people. So there's this huge fight of, of the best and the, and the worst, the, the, the light and the dark that is going on in the weirdest ways. Um, my friends, there's, a, a, there's escalating confusion right now as this, uh, this World Economic Forum that meets every January in uh, Davos, Switzerland. There's a, the World Economic Forum is made up of about 2,700 members, about 130 nations, and there's key representatives from all these nations as well as heads of state. And about this year, there was 116 billionaires from over the world that meet in Davos, Switzerland. And basically, they come together and say, how can we, uh, this is really a short paraphrase, but how can we take over the world They've been doing these things, these, these meetings for years. Um, uh, Claude Schwab, I think, was the, uh, Schwab was the guy who started it uh, many, many decades ago. Um, this forum wants to eventually control all property and create a digital currency, take away currency uh, in all nations and replace it with a digital currency. They want, uh, they want to only allow corporations to sell and for people to buy who follow their rules. So you can only buy and sell. I mean, you, you can, first of all, you can only sell if you're following our rules and they're starting to show their power by, um, they won't give loans to corporations unless you follow our mandates. And one of those is what they call the ESG scores, that you have to follow our standards, our values of equity, you know, this social justice mandate, this wokeism thing. And uh, if you don't follow that, well, then you won't get the loan, you won't get the money you want. It's all, ran, it's all run by money. It's all run by greed. The billionaires, the World Economic Forum people, they want to be wealthier, even though they've got <laughs> so much money you, 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 could, you, you can't imagine. So they, they've called it, uh, since, current, since current technology is advancing so quickly, they call it the Great Reset. It's called the Great Re Reset. Banks in America here are part of the Great Re Reset. They're, they're part of the, the woke system. They're part of the, the, the social justice thing. They, they have an ESG score, you know. Um, some corporations get away with a lower ESG score than others. For instance, uh, the beer companies, uh, they, they, respond, they, they have to give account for their particular social justice score, but it doesn't matter quite as much because who cares about beer? That's not going to change the world. But some corporation like Facebook, 
they have to have a pretty good score because they're influential. They are, they're a social media platform and people can spread their views on, uh, on social media. And so we want to keep tabs on, on Facebook. And, and if anybody's not spreading, is not uh, uh, advancing our cause, you need to disarm or you need to deactivate their, their platform. As you can see, these guys are pretty smart. The Great Reset is on the march. Of course, uh, the World Economic Forum rejects everything biblical and everything of God. And they have replaced it with uh, what we would call progressivism and left-wing thinking and also artificial intelligence. AI is really the new God for the World Economic Forum. The goal is to again replace all currency with digital currency so they'll know exactly what you have on your bank account. They'll know exactly how you spend it, what you give it to. You won't have any paper money anymore in your pocket. I'm not, you say, this sounds like conspiracy. No, this is reality. This is what's coming down the pike. It's already taking place. Uh, in Europe, they're already ahead of us. They're already, they're, they're further down the road there. And uh, we're not too much further behind them in, here in America. Um, so, it's worse the times. What we have always dreamed of happening, or at least we've been told as kids, even as we listen to biblical prophecy, and we couldn't always imagine what it was going to be like, but now we, we can see, we can see, yes, I can see how, I can see how this beast system will control all the people in the world. You can see it. The technology is there to do it. Uh, it's very possible, and it's, and it's really much closer than it's ever been before, isn't it? So that's, you know, we, we have to know that. We have to, we have to be aware of our times. We have to, you know, we, we acknowledge that. But it's the best of times, too. And that's where we have our hope, isn't it? It's the best of times, and that's the hope we can offer to other people. You know, we can see that these are the days that clearly point to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, it is so evident, it is so magnificently evident, we need to be ready. These current days point to those times revealed in Scripture when every eye will see Him coming in the clouds. Uh, we also know that we're approaching the 2,000 year mark since Jesus was crucified. Um, God, He has a calendar, you know. He has a calendar that appears... It appears it's based on a 2,000-year in increment, you know. We know, you know, we, we know the world is, and I know evolutionists will laugh you out off of the stage or off the platform if you talk this way, but this is what the Bible teaches, that the world is roughly 6,000 years old. And I know they say it's millions and billions and killions and trillions, and I don't know how far back. It changes every year. It does. It changes every year. It's, it's getting older and older. And uh, to you, you listen to some of the mathematicians, though, and uh, they're not even Christians. And of course, these guys aren't talked about, but they'll tell you evolution's impossible. It's impossible. These mathematicians, these people who aren't even Christians, they say there's not enough. They they don't allow enough time for for, for what they say happens happens, because the Earth is a miracle. The Earth is an act of God. And you can't explain you know, supernatural power. 
So when God said, let there be light, you know, there's no way we can prove that. If it was a historical fact, it's in the Bible. We can't go back and prove it. You know, we, we can see the evidence around us, but, but we didn't see God create the earth, but we see the evidence of it that he did. And we don't know, well, we know what the Bible says, that it happened in a, in a 24-hour day. And I know even our Christian colleges don't agree with that. They don't teach that. And, uh, but that's what the scriptures teach. Amen? So, but it's, we know that God's on at this 2,000-year uh, calendar time. And, uh, um, you know, about 2,000 years into it, we, we hear of, a, the Bible teaches us about a man named Abraham, or Abram, who was called. God, God told Adam, Adam and Eve that there would, there would come someone from her seed that would, would smash the serpent's head, the one that caused all this, this, this chaos and sorrow and turmoil to begin with and this death that we now experience. And so God has a plan. And that 2,000-year mark, we know Abram was called and God began to form a nation that would, uh, he had to find a unique person that had a unique spirit toward him that would be uh, one that he could produce a nation through that would uh, ultimately bring about the Messiah, would bring about Jesus Christ into this world, his, his, the, the, the Savior of mankind, God the Son. Yeah, so, so um, around the year 4000, you know, Paul calls it, the, in Galatians, he called it at the fullness of time, Jesus came. And that was about the, around the 4,000 year mark of the, of the uh, history of the world. Jesus entered this world at Bethlehem as a baby. He grew into manhood and died for all humankind, defeating the devil and the power of sin over us, and then rose from the dead, defeating death for us as well. So there's one more prophecy to be fulfilled, and it's his return. Not as a baby, not as a suffering servant as he did the first time, but as a victorious king. Amen. And then the righteous dead will return to their graves. You know, because the righteous dead are with the Lord now, right? You know, our loved ones who die, they're not out there on the ground. No, they, their spirits have gone to be with God, Paul says. So when Jesus comes back, their, their spirits are going to rejoin their bodies, wherever their bodies are. <laughs> you know, at the bottom of the sea, or Adam and Eve, wherever their bones are, their dust, wherever it is, God's, you know, He's Almighty, so is, is, is anything too hard for God? No. He knows where everybody's lo located at, and, and their spirits will, re well, their bodies will be transformed in, in the grave. Their bones, their bodies will be, you know, they'll have a new body. And uh, like our Lord's body, like Jesus' body, and they'll rise from the dead. And then those of us who are still alive, we will be redeemed. We'll be transformed instantly. And we'll have a new body as well. Amen. Yeah. And just like our Lord's body. And we who are alive will, will be caught up instantly and fully redeemed and we'll, we'll all rise together to meet Jesus in the clouds. Well, it's going to happen pretty quickly, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen so quickly um, that we won't comprehend it fully. And then the Bible tells us that the wicked dead, from all the way, the people all the way from Cain, who murdered his brother Abel, to Caiaphas and the, the Sanhedrin who sentenced Jesus to death, to the last person rejecting God, who will also, they'll also see him in the clouds. Not before we do, but 
they will see him next in the clouds. And they will cry out to be hidden from the Lamb and from him who sits on the throne, the Bible says. But they cannot hide as Jesus destroys the earth. Not with water this time, but with fire. With fervent heat. With fervent heat. The ones the World Economic Forum, they have, they have goals that extend over the next 10 to 30 years. And they just steadily endeavor to keep changing society slowly conditioning people to accept the loss of their liberty and to pick up the chains of tyranny. Sort of like the frog in the kettle, you know, story, illustration. So these are the days that we as disciples of Jesus Christ, we shine all the brighter to the glory of Christ as we remain faithful to what He has revealed in His Word and what He has done in our hearts through the Gospel and through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And we, we should resist what's going on around us. We ought to, we ought to resist. We ought to keep, we keep standing for what is right. So I hope you see, loved ones, that the, in, a, in a real sense, these days are the best of times. When the darkness gets dark, it's, uh, we, the, the smallest light can be bright. It's quite a privilege to live here at the end of all worldly things, really. I tell you, we've had, our ancestors have longed, they, they, they long to see this day that we're living in, this day that we're living in, when Jesus is so close to coming back. But it's also the worst of times, the, as the world expresses its hatred for all things godly and replaces God with man, just like they tried to do at the Tower of Babel. That's what the Tower of Babel is all about, just simply replacing God with man. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, I have it here for you, that by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Here we have Noah and his family, and we're speaking of Noah here particularly in this verse, that Noah alone was in this world, and there's different estimates of how many people were alive at that time. They really don't know, but some people say 8 million, some people say 100 million, don't really know, but there was a lot of people around. Uh, and Noah was, the Bible says, by his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. That Noah, by his lifestyle, by his words, by his lifestyle, actually was a light. He was a light in a very, very dark culture. That's what the Bible tells us here in Hebrews here. And it, that, um, you know, he, uh, prior, you know, to this first global judgment, again, Noah lived a consistent life of faith, a consistent life of righteousness before an ungodly culture. Um, and he then, of course, built the ark over several decades. Some people say 75 years at least. First Peter tells us in uh, chapter 3, Peter tells us in chapter 3, verse 20, that God waited patiently for people to repent. He waited patiently for people to repent in Noah's day. As Noah was this, he, he was their light. Yeah, he was only, you know, He's really only one amongst all these many, 
But his light was bright enough for them to see. God waited patiently for them to repent as they observed Noah's life and his building of the ark. And then Peter writes again in 2 Peter, he says that he was a preacher of righteousness, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So, my friends, in in Matthew chapter 24, let me show you something here. He said, as it was in the, this is Jesus, Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. But up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In wrestling, some people claim this means that in Noah's day, that Noah didn't tell them because that the flood was coming. Because Jesus said here, you know, the way they read it, they read it like it says that they didn't know, the people didn't know what was happening until the flood did come and it took them all away. And they say, well, they didn't know. Noah did, didn't tell them, but that's not true. You know, um, it would be better to understand it this way. They didn't know what a flood was. When you think about that world of Noah's day, it had never rained before. It had never stormed. There was never a tornado. There was never a hurricane. There was never a tsunami. Everything was just just like always. It was pleasant. It was a wonderful world to live in as far as the world environment was concerned. You know, everything grew well. They had plenty to eat. There was never any, sure there was death, but there was never any cataclysmic storms or anything bad. They didn't know what a flood was. Noah talking about this global judgment, this judgment coming, this flood thing. And, um, you know, they, but they would soon picture it. When Noah was shut up in the ark and God shut the door, the flood came. The great fountains of the deep, the Bible says, broke forth in a really short time. And suddenly they understood what a flood was. They saw mountains of water coming toward them. Mountains of water racing toward them. And then they knew what the flood was, but it was too late. And it swept them away. It's the same way today, loved ones. People hear that Christ is going to return. People hear that every eye is going to see him. And that God's going to bring a second world judgment again, not by, not by water this time, but by fire. Who can picture that? I can't. I can't understand how that's going to happen. I mean, that's, I can't understand it. I don't know how everybody's going to see Jesus at the same time, all around a, on, a, on a round globe. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Just like those people back in those days, they didn't know what a flood was. They never seen water like that, that, that big of a mountain of water coming at them, sweeping over the entire earth. They didn't know what that was. The same way today. You know, who, who can picture what's going to, how Jesus, how God's going to bring that second judgment? What would it look like? It's really unimaginable. It's unimaginable to us. Our minds don't comprehend it. You know, especially as, as, as a result of seeing Jesus in the clouds. Uh, so, some can, you know, the, 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 I should say the same can be said about the world today. People, they don't fully un- understand what it means when you talk about when the fire comes and it's going to melt them away. 
This time it's not sweeping them away. It's going to melt them away because everything will melt with fervent heat. So loved ones, we, uh, we are called uh, to be God's modern day Noah's. In this worst of times and best of times, we're called to be God's modern day Noah's. Uh, living lives of integrity, of biblical truth, of faith and righteousness. And you know what? Speaking a word for Jesus when the opportunity affords itself. Even if it's only telling people, Jesus is our lifesaver. But when you have an opportunity, you know, as you're living, be, or be a modern day Noah. Noah lived a life of integrity. He was, he was found serving God when people were watching and when they weren't watching. He was living a life of integrity and a life of faithfulness to God. And his faith brought him righteousness. And he was also a preacher of righteousness. He expressed it. He told him a flood's coming <laughs> and you need to repent. God's waiting on you to, to repent. In the same way, we are the same, the modern day Noahs today. We need to just be faithful in our life, be genuine, be authentic, and in whatever way God prompts us, just let people know He's real. God's real. You know, Jesus can help you. Jesus is your ho only hope. Yeah. So again, as the, as the Hebrew writer says, let me just wind down here with some of these scriptures. This is, as, as the Hebrew writer says, he said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I capitalize hope, H-O-P-E, because that's really significant. The hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see that great day, that great day approaching. Peter says also in 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, but in your hearts receive Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope H-O-P, that you have, that hope you have. Do you know what the hope is? Do this with gentleness and respect. And Titus, Paul tells Titus this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts or passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. <laughs> there it is again. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Colossians, Paul says this to them. He says, The mystery that has been hidden for the ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And let me give you one more. Ephesians chapter 1. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. You know, the scriptures frequently mention in the New Testament that we have as disciples of Jesus, this hope. When we run to Jesus for escape from God's wrath, and when we surrender to him by opening the door of our lives and inviting him to dwell in us and rule over us, 
The Bible says He gives us hope. Hope. This hope, loved ones, is a, it's, it's bulging with abundant riches that are eternal. We don't have it all yet. That's why it's called hope. We don't have it, but it's an abundant promise that we have something waiting for us. We have a portion of it now, but we don't have all of it yet. You know, uh, the gospel, the power of Christ has transformed us on the inside, yes. And we are made new. We're, we're, we're transformed from darkness into light, you know. And we were dead and now we're alive. But we don't have everything that Jesus has provided for us yet on the cross. We don't have... We don't have... We don't have a new body. I got to tell you, mine's hurting today. <laughs> Paul oftentimes talks about how, oh, we long for a new body. We long to see the lion stop killing the lamb. We long to stop seeing dogs and cats fight. We long to, to see a world without violence and hatred and arguing and war and all these things. We long, and it's kind of capitalized in this issue of a, our, a longing for a, a, a riches that are not currently ours in possession. They're promised to us. And matter of fact, the Bible says that God gives us the Holy Spirit within our lives as a guarantee that He said, I promise you that even though you don't have it, you don't have this new body yet, I promise you will have it. And the way I, you can, you can uh, be confident of my promise is I put my Holy Spirit within you. That's what Paul said there in the book of Ephesians. I put my Holy Spirit within you. He is your guarantee of what is yet to come. You know, among other riches, you know, this, you know this, this first and foremost riches of our new body, a resurrected body, a glorious body that is no longer subject to the curse of sin uh, upon this earth. You know, usually when we're young and healthy, this kind of message doesn't mean that much to us because we're young and healthy and we know we're not thinking about, well, I'm feeling all right, Pastor, you know. You know, I'm, I'm okay. But... Uh, I promise you, uh, um, if the Lord tarries and you live long, long enough, you'll find out that, that uh, this hope that we cling to when we are, well, when we're aged, I should say, and we find out that our bodies are wasting away as we get older. They're wasting away. That didn't used to hurt there. Why is now, what, what's, going, what's wrong with me today? What's wrong now? <laughs> you know? And again, the Holy Spirit reminds us as He's in us that a new day is coming. A new day when we'll have a new body. But whether we're healthy or feeble, 
And of course, that's due to the, re- to the re- res- resurrection of Jesus. But whether we're healthy or feeble, this hope of a new body and victory over the effects of death through the resurrection of Jesus is just a glorious treasure that God guarantees through His Son. And so let me close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says that in the earliest days of Christianity, an apostle was first and foremost a man who claimed to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. And so to preach Christianity meant primarily this, to preach the resurrection. And that's what we see Paul doing over and over again, that when you preach the gospel, he would preach the resurrection. So loved ones, as we close today, as we can, as this introduction to this new series, I hope uh, I'm praying that the Lord will help us discover the beauty and the glorious treasure of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and what all of that affords us. Amen. Father, as we leave today, we pray that uh, we'll go with a new sense of hope, a new sense of understanding that you have given us great treasure, that not only have you forgiven us of our sins and transformed our souls, that given us eternal life in these, in these spirits of ours, but we also have this promise of redemption, of having an eternal body as well. And although we don't have it yet, we know it's coming. Because we believe Jesus rose from the dead and is is the first one ever to rise from the dead and to stay alive. He's the first one. And we're to be just like him. For when we see him, we'll be like him. We'll have a body just like him. Lord, that's our hope. That's our longing. That you might redeem the sons and daughters of God. And see the earth changed. So Lord, we pray that uh, we will uh, will seek you with all of our hearts as we as we learn more as the Word becomes alive to us regarding the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, now I pray you will go with us, protect us, keep us. We will bless Lord today on his birthday that he'll just be uh, greatly honored and loved and encouraged, and that uh, Father, this day will bring about joy because we're following you. Help us to love others in Jesus' name. Amen.